How's everybody doing today? Did the rain take anybody else by surprise this morning? I think it rained the hardest while I was trying to get in first one vehicle that would not start, and then a second vehicle to realize I needed to stop and get gas. So it was a little bit of a crazy morning for me, but I want to let you know we're happy you're all here today. Glad you're here. Invite you just to sit back and relax. A couple of things we want to bring your attention to. First one is this uh, parking lot light over here. If you've noticed these, and Mike sent me a text message about these. They've been working on these uh, fervently in the back. And I believe what this means is they have $1,200 collected, and the total cost is $3,600. And we invite anyone who would like to help with such the project to uh, donate accordingly. I believe that's what that's about. The other thing I'd like to bring your attention to is over here on my left. Has anybody else wondered about this sculpture on the left? If you've ever played the game Jenga, that's what this is. This is a giant Jenga game that they made at church camp this year. Is that correct? Now, why it's up here, I'm not sure. I believe that a young person, Michael Gill, put it up here and it just stayed. Is that correct? The Denius did it. And guys, church camp is a wonderful event. I continue to be amazed at what goes on at church camp and the way God works in the lives of young people at church camp. It is very cool to see kids come back and to see them with smiles on their face and to have relationships and friendships that they didn't have before uh, with, with other kids, with other teens, and they're all trying to pursue a relationship with God. And guys, it's just very exciting. So if you know nothing about church camp, I encourage you to find out. Because it ain't just for young people. Did you know that? That's right. Gary, stand up here. Gary, stand up. Were you? Come on, come on. You were the oldest person there, weren't you? Just to show you, Gary was the head cook this year. And also Tim and Mike. So he had three over 50. Over 50, which I'm now part of that club, okay? It's pretty, it's all right. It's all right. But guys, church camp is a wonderful thing. And honestly, if, if you can be involved in any capacity at all, and we want to thank you. We know we ask for donations to help kids go to camp. We don't let any kid not go to camp because of, of not having the money to go. And uh, you folks rose to the occasions. We've also done some extra things. Uh, this year, we sat down Monday night. It was a little hectic. We planned camp on short notice this year, and it was very cool. I sat down with uh, Jason Leatherwood, our, our treasurer, and Mike Kiffmeyer, our church administrator, and uh, Billy Stagall, our youth minister, and we were going over the finances from camp because we said, okay, Basically, money came from everywhere. I don't know how else to put it, okay? Money came to Billy. Money came to Gina. Money came to Jason in the form of checks. Money came to Jason in the form of the electronic payments that you make in a small dome. And we weren't sure how it was all supposed to be allocated. And we were sitting down Monday night to make sure we had enough to pay for everything we did. And there was just about the right amount. There was a little bit left over. And so, guys, we just want to thank you. Give yourselves a hand for helping to put on camp and make it a good time. Anyway, we are in the book of Acts. Tim has been preaching through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is, is considered the Acts of the Apostles, is what it's about. And 
We've been looking at different stories. We're not going through it chronologically. We're not going through it uh, in any special way. Uh, I usually preach on what Tim tells me to preach on. And so that's why I'm here. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 if you want to go there. Um, And we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. And if you look at your notes, it says lessons from a witch. Why did I put lessons from a witch? Because a witch is pretty much the same as a sorcerer and and a witch is a little catchier, you know? What can I learn from a witch? And guys, that's what Simon was. And so what we want to do, we want to read through here. We're going to be in, like I said, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And uh, we're going to read the story, and then we're going to go through and talk about what we can learn from it. All right? Beginning in verse 4, it says, Those who had been preached, excuse me, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Guys, an interesting story. And I always say that whenever you read a story in the Bible, it's there for a reason. You know, I mean, Simon, we don't know anything else about him. You know, this is the only thing we know about Simon the sorcerer is right here in these verses. He's never mentioned again. We don't know if he repented of this evil that Peter tells him about or, or if he left the church. Now, history tells us, and I'm not sure how much it's to be believed. History tells us he didn't repent. 
But guys, what we can look at, we need to be able to look at the story and say, what are we, why is this here? What can we learn from it? It tells us some things that I believe we should pay attention to. And the first of which is that God can save anybody. God can save anybody. Now, guys, we tend to sometimes read the Bible and we kind of just gloss over it. And we may go, well, that was a time in the past or what's that all about? And you say, well, Simon the Sorcerer, you know, today you don't hear much about witches, do you? I mean, I know I've heard they exist. I know a guy called in to Rush Limbaugh one time and told us he was a witch. But you don't hear a lot about witchcraft or sorcery. You may hear a little bit about Satan worship. But it's kind of an underground thing that you just don't hear much about. Guys, you need to understand that all of these things, whether it's witchcraft, whether it's sorcery, whether it's Satan worship, uh, whether it's the occult of any kind, the Bible is very clear that there is evil activity behind it, or the activity of evil, specifically in the form of demons. I mean, the Bible is very clear that, that when, you know, it says that Simon amazed people with his magic, then in all likelihood there, were, there was demonic activity who was actually giving him power to do things. I mean, there are things like this we see in the Bible uh, later on in the book of Acts where there was a, uh, a young lady who was a slave and she was under the influence of a demon and she was able to tell the future. And it says she made a lot of money telling the future. I mean, I, I believe she was, the Bible's pretty clear that she, it was an actual ability for whatever reason. And then when after they, they, they told the demon to leave her, they told, told the demon to leave her alone in the name of Jesus, she couldn't make her, her masters any more money. And they got a little upset about it. And guys, you, you, you read this, as you, and we don't have time to get into it right now. You're just going to have to take my word for it. I encourage you to go study it on your own if you're curious. But the, the, the influence of evil in this world is real. And if you choose to... Uh, to worship it in the form of idols or in the form of uh, just flat-out Satan worship or witchcraft, there's power that's available there. Now, I bring that up because that's what Simon was. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to sharing my faith with people, do you tend to kind of categorize people into different groups? You know, do you look at somebody and go, Ooh, I bet they'd like to know about Jesus. And then other people go, Ooh, I bet they're closed. They don't want to know anything about Jesus at all. You know, I, I told this story, I think, before. I may have done it out here. I don't know. But uh, it was 25 years ago or some more than that. More than 25 years ago. And uh, Mike Kiffmeyer and I, Mike had just became a Christian. I had just gotten serious about my commitment to Jesus. And we were at a, a gas station filling up with gas. And there was a rather attractive young lady who Mike knew who was there getting gas and left rather quickly. And I said, she needs Jesus. Obviously with pure motives. And, and Mike, who knew the girl, he, and he caught himself after he said this, he goes, no, no, she doesn't. <laughs> and, and then he quickly said, oh my goodness, what am I saying? Yes, she does. Yes, she does. But we do that. We look at people and go, no, what? They're too bad. Okay? They'll never respond to Jesus. Why? There's too much evil there. Guys, Simon was the most evil person that you can see here. Did you see this? You talk about, what did they say about him? Everybody thought that he was the great power of God. They worshipped him. I mean, what do you want to say? Hey, do you want to worship the real God? And so the people will quit worshipping you? 
I mean, honestly, I would have took one look at him and said, I'm staying away from him. Let's go find some people who really need him. Let's find some people who are down and out. Let's find some people who have, have a visible need in their life. Not this guy. That's what I would have done. Guys, you need to know. God can save anybody. Do you know that? I mean, he's essentially a cult leader. God can save anybody. And guys, this is important to notice. And as we go on, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more. Uh, as I did some research on Simon, I looked into a couple commentaries, three or four of them. <clears throat> and the majority of them, what they say about Simon is that Simon never really got saved. You know that? That's what they say. And it's because the gentlemen that write these, wrote these commentaries, they have a belief that, that goes something like this. They believe that once you're saved, you're always saved and you can never leave the faith. And well, as we both know, people, we've seen people leave the faith, right? So the way they explain that is, well, they never really were saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But if you leave, if you do leave the church, if you do leave God, if you do quit professing Jesus, then you were never really saved. And people say this about Simon. They go, well, his real heart came out. He fooled Philip, but he didn't fool Peter. That's why, I mean, I read that. It was just amazing. But guys, look at these two passages in your notes. The first one's in Mark 16. And this is what Jesus said. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. What does Jesus say? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. What does it say about Simon in Acts 8? It says Simon himself believed and was baptized. So what's the conclusion we should have about Simon? Either he was saved or Jesus lied. <laughs> I mean, those are your two choices. I mean, the Bible says what? Jesus said, if you believe, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Simon believed and baptized. He was a saved person. Guys, anybody can be saved. And guys, that's important to notice because it gets to our second lesson here, guys. And that is, as a follower of Jesus, I will be tested. I will be tested. Guys, that is significant. <laughs> I enjoyed the laugh, Susie. Don't worry about it. As a follower of Jesus, I will be tested. And guys, that is significant. Because if you do not believe you're going to be tested. Thank you. I have one. Thank you. I think I'll need two, huh? <laughs> Years ago, we had somebody, a gentleman here, Greater Alton, a good friend of mine. And he struggled, struggled with homosexuality, same-sex attraction, however you want to put it. And he had had this struggle, he struggled with it, he fought it. And finally, he left faith in Jesus. He left coming to Greater Alton, he moved to St. Louis. Uh, started living the lifestyle, so to speak. Uh, and he just chose not to fight it anymore. Well, once he got over there, and I don't know how long it was, it was six months, if it was a year, if it was two years, he came in contact with a church, very dynamic church, very evangelistic church, very faith-filled church. And they, they, he was studying the Bible with them, and, and one, one Saturday night he calls me and he says, I'm getting baptized tomorrow. 
I said, okay, that's great. Why? And he says, well, you see, I never really repented the first time I was baptized. I never really repented. And that's visible. The, the evidence of me never really repenting was in the fact that I struggled with homosexuality. You see, because I never really repented, I never, never really got saved. I never, never got the Holy Spirit to help me. And so I, I struggled. And so now I'm really repenting. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit to save me. And guess what? I'm not going to have any problem with homosexuality. And I, I talked with another friend who got the same phone call. I talked with him the next day at church. And I said, you know, I hope, I hope they're right. I mean, if you've ever talked to anybody that has a struggle with, homo, you know, with homosexual struggles and feelings, that's a challenge. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very strong, big, very strong stronghold in somebody's life. And I thought, I hope they're right, because if that's the case, I, I'll be happy to help people with that formula. I want to do it. You know what happened about six months after he got baptized? He struggled again. And what happened after he struggled? The folks that baptized him had no answer for him. In fact, they started avoiding him. And guys, he had no hope of dealing with it. You see, guys, he didn't expect to be tested. He was, he was sold a bill of goods that said, hey, after you're baptized, this challenge is going to be gone. And guys, the truth is, you're going to be tested as a follower of Jesus. There's no two ways about it, guys. Being tempted, being tested as a follower of Jesus is a normal part of of your existence. Jesus told it this way in a story we know as the parable of the soils. He told it in Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, and Matthew 13. He told the story of basically about how the Word of God is spread like seed and how our hearts are like different types of soil. And depending on um, how you respond to the Word of God depends on what soil you are. You know, you may be like the path that, that, that your heart's so hard that Satan steals the word away before it can grow. Or you may be like the thorny soil who, though the, the word God grows up, there's thorns that are described as the worries of this life and the desire for other things choke out God's word. And you never mature as a follower of Jesus. Or you may be good soil. That the good soil is uh, one that hears God's word, retains it, and per, by persevering produces a huge crop. Lots of fruit in their life. But there's another soil that it mentions, and it's called the rocky soil. And it's in Mark chapter 4. This is how it describes it. It says, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's Word. You see, guys, the truth is, if you're following Jesus, there's going to be some problems associated with following Jesus. Did you know that? There's going to be some problems. If you're serious about following Jesus, you're going to have some thoughts, some attitudes, some habits that are going to come in conflict with what Jesus teaches. There's no avoiding it. There's no way to get around it. The question is, what do you do with it? 
You see, being tested is a normal part of it. There's a note there, and it says that my, my test will be familiar to me. And what do I mean by that is, you're not going to be... Te- I've never, I have never been tempted with murder. You know that? I've never been tempted with doing drugs. In my depression, and I've shared that, I've, I struggled with depression for a number of years in the past. I was never tempted as a depressed person to get drunk. Those aren't my sins. I have another list. (laughs) I mean, depression was one of them. Discouragement was one. Lust was one. The desire to quit was one. I was tempted with suicide. I guess that is murder, isn't it? Guys, my sin, what I'm tempted with, what I'm tested with, is probably different than what you're going to be tested with. And it's going to be, you're going to be tested with something that is very familiar to you. Look at this. Look at the way Simon is described here in Acts 8. It says, Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he'd astounded them with his magic. And then what's it say? What's his temptation? It says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. You see, when he chose to follow Jesus, you know what he had to do? He had to give up his power. He had to give his power and his influence over people. And people quit worshiping him. And guess what he's tempted to go back to? He wants power. He wants people to worship him. And guys, that's what he's tempted to go back to. You see, guys, and the Bible, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But you need to understand how Satan's going to test you. How he tempts you specifically. Because I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, or how long you've been following Jesus, you're going to be tested continually. Do you know that? And it's not going to be something new. I don't, I don't fear that down the road I'm going to start being tempted by homosexuality. I've never had that tempt, temptation. I don't fear that somewhere down the road I'm going to be tempted with murder. I don't. I do believe I'm going to be tempted for the rest of my life with the desire to quit. To go hide under a rock and live like a hermit. Because that's my sin. That's my struggle. That's what I'm tempted with. And you've got to recognize what it is. You see, in Ephesians 4, this is what it says, talking about anger specifically. It says, be angry without sinning. Don't, give, don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil any opportunity to work. You see, guys, and what it's saying there, that devil, don't give the devil any opportunity to work, I'm no theologian, but I've read people, and there's a general agreement about what this means, this give the devil an opportunity to work and how it's translated. That basically, when you go to sleep angry, you're opening the door for Satan's influence in your life. You're giving the devil an open door to influence you. And I want to tell you, it's not limited to just anger. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But you need to recognize... What's the door of opportunity in your life? How do you think Satan has the most influence over you? Gets you to listen. 
You see, guys, because you need to recognize it so you can so you can close it, and we'll get there. Guys, the third lesson we want to have here is that exposure to the light reveals my heart. Exposure to the light reveals my heart. And I want to say something. Uh, years ago, when I was a kid, I had an idea of what Judgment Day was going to be like. I believe this was popular in the 70s from what I've heard. I'm not sure where I, came, where I heard it from or who influenced me for it. But it went something like this. I believe that on Judgment Day, we were all going to be standing in a line. And at the front of the line was God, the judge. And behind him was this screen, something like this. And you know what was going to show on the screen? All my bad stuff. Everything I'd done. Every thought I'd ever had. And I had this idea that, you know, if you were forgiven of something, if you'd ask God to forgive you, it'd be like a blank spot, like in the Knicks, the, the, the white water tapes. Or not white water. Watergate. <laughs> They're all political scandals. The Watergate tapes, there's blanks. And that's what you wanted. But I just was afraid. What if I didn't ask God to forgive me? What if I, and what if it shone on that screen and everybody saw my stuff? And I lived in fear of that. And guys, I don't know about you, but I know people, you know, I, I, I was in a small group one time and I asked them, I said, have you ever asked God to show you what you really need to change and what you're really like? And then, oh no, oh no, I don't want to know that. You know, one guy says, I'm afraid he's going to tell me to sell everything and move to Africa. <laughs> Guys, we have a fear of really seeing what God sees in us. You know, you understand what I'm saying? And we need to understand that having our heart exposed is a good thing. I don't know how else to put it. The best way I can illustrate it is it's kind of like a, if you're a country music fan, there was a song that was out a few years ago called Rain is a Good Thing. And it goes something like this. Rain makes corn. Corn makes whiskey. Whiskey makes my baby feel a little frisky. Rain is a good thing. Guys, having your heart exposed is a good thing. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. But it's a good thing. Look at this. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is what it says. It says, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. Guys, what it's saying is that the light of being a godly people, the light of, of what God has to say, exposes the evil that's in us. Look at what Philip, or not Philip, but look at what Simon did right after he became a disciple. This is what it says in, in, in verse 13. It says, Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. You see, guys, it was no accident that Simon was exposed for what he was. He made a decision after he was a disciple not to go live by himself, 
Not to go isolate himself and keep himself away from other people. Not to keep his thoughts to himself, but to be around godly people. And what does that do? Being around the light exposes the darkness. It was no surprise. It was no surprise. It's no surprise to me anyway that Peter exposed his heart as he'd been around the light. Now, I got a question for you. Which would you rather do? Would you rather have somebody expose your heart in front of people like this? Or would you rather expose yourself? See, guys, it's a choice. I was just talking about church camp. And uh, church camp is a really neat thing. And one of the things that happens at church camp about every year is that sin comes out at church camp. Is that not right? Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> and I, 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 I've been involved with the youth group on a limited basis. Uh, I work with Billy, the youth minister, rather closely. And we got talking about church camp, and it wasn't a formal thing. I said, guys, we want to have an informal or, you know, a, a sub-theme for the youth group for this year. And it's called No Surprises. <laughs> no Surprises. What's that mean? It goes, don't make, don't wait for camp to get all the sin out. Which would you rather do? You know, be up late at night, convicted and challenged and get your sin out because people's really challenging you and everybody knows about it. Or would you rather confess it on a Tuesday night to somebody back in April? You know? Which is easier, to be busted out or to confess it yourself? I mean, which would you have? It was really cool because we were talking last week, because we were talking about the finances, and they were talking to Mike Kiffmeyer and Billy, who were both there, were talking about camp. And uh, I think it was Mike Kiff. Somebody was saying that, you know, one of the kids was talking. They were, they were trying to encourage him to share more. And the kid says, I've already shared everything. You told me you didn't want no surprises. Leave me alone. <laughs> but guys, it's a much more refreshing time when you get it out yourself. You see, guys, the truth is we all got stuff in our closet, don't we? We all have things in our heart that are evil. And you see, guys, it's all about the heart. It's all about my heart. And we all have those things in our heart. The question is, are we going to deal with them or not? See, I've got a list of verses here. They're going to show up on the screen, I believe. I'm just going to read through these. Um, and these are all things that Jesus said about our heart. Okay? I'm not going to give the references. They should show up on this. Yeah, there they go. I'm going to fire through them. It says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. But I say... Anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Watch out. 
Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, evil slander, pride, and foolishness. See, guys, it's all about my heart and what's going on in my heart. And guys, when you're around the light, you should expect your heart to be exposed, and that's a good thing. That's what's going on here for Simon. The fourth thing, guys, fourth lesson, is that repentance requires action from me. Repentance requires action from me. This is what Peter told Simon after he made his request. He says, repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive your evil thoughts. For I see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. He makes it very plain. He tells him that he needs to pray and repent. You see, guys, remember that door of opportunity that we were talking about earlier? What the devil has in your life? You know, you, can, you have the ability to close that door. You realize that? You see, that's what's really cool about... Look, look at this next passage here in Ephesians 4. It says, don't give the devil any opportunity to work. Get rid of your bitterness, hot tempers, anger, loud quarreling, cursing, and hatred. Be kind to each other, sympathetic, forgiving each other as God has forgiven you through Christ. You see, guys, the Bible is very clear that the devil, we can give the devil an opportunity to work, a door of opportunity, if you will, in your life into your heart. But it also is very clear that we have the we have the ability to close that door. See, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of the medical profession here in America. I mean, I I just think it's a rather hopeless area. You know, I, I was telling first service that one of my experiences with a doctor several years ago as I was having these headaches. And I went to the doctor and uh, I was telling about these headaches I, I install windshields for a living, and sometimes the bottom of the windshield you cut out from the inside, and so you would push up on it with your head and cut the bottom of the windshield out. And I'd tell the doctor, I said, if i got to push two of them out with my head in one day, i got this really bad migraine, this really bad headache. And I said, and then when I go golf, you know, if I go golfing, back then I golfed, I go, by the 10th hole, i just got this headache coming on, and I don't even want to finish the round. And he gives me a bottle of prescription for painkillers. He goes, here you go. As long as you push windshields out with your head, you're going to have headaches. And all he does is give me painkiller. He doesn't give me any solution. I mean, he kind of gave me the solution. As long as you do that, Gary, you're going to have headaches. So guess what I did? I don't like taking medicine on a regular basis. I, I just think I'm better off if I don't. Let's say that. <laughs> Ask my kids. I decided that I should stop pushing windshields out with my head. I found other ways to get the windshield up. They make little airbags you can pump up. They make little, they call neck savers, believe it or not. Little PVC things that can pry the windshield up. And guess what happened? 
I quit having headaches. I didn't need the doctor. Okay? I didn't need the pills. The doctor left me hopeless. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to the doctor. I went to the doctor for something else one time. He, he gave me pills. He goes, take this for 60 days. If it works, just keep taking it every day. Really? I thought, I'm supposed to live with this the rest of my life and be dependent on this medication? And it was something minor. I don't know how else to put it. Guys, I don't, I don't like feeling hopeless like that. You know, God doesn't fe- leave you feeling hopeless. God doesn't feel leave you dependent on something that's outside of your control. God tells you that if you have bad things going on in your life, you can stop them. That's what this is saying. He says what? Don't give the devil an opportunity to work. And then as he continues his thought down later in the passage, he says, here's what you need to do. You see, guys, anger isn't the only door of opportunity for Satan to work in your life. And he describes some of them here. He says, get rid of your bitterness, hot tempers, anger, loud quarreling, cursing, and hatred. Be kind to each other, sympathetic, forgiving each other, as God has forgiven you through Christ. You see, guys, if you are going to close the door of opportunity that Satan has in your life, you've got to take some action. You've got to repent. And you see, there's good reason for that, guys, because the fifth lesson is this. Terrible things happen to me if I don't repent. And I, I, I apologize if that sounds a little harsh. And I want to apologize also because I believe here at Greater Alton, we haven't given this the, the right amount of attention. Okay? I mean, because this is just, this, this is, this is a, I want to read you a passage here in a minute. But look at this. This is what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that if you don't repent of sin, bad things happen. And this is what Simon says. We don't have everything that Peter told him. And we know that. Why? Because in verse 24, this is, this is Simon's response. He says, pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. Now, we don't know what terrible things Peter was telling him about. Because those words aren't recorded. And you may look at that and say, well, maybe that was Simon's interpretation of what Peter said. Well, I suppose that's possible. Except for there's this little story over in Matthew chapter 18. It's a story that we know as the parable of the unmerciful servant. And what's going on in this story? I tell you what, let's just turn to it, shall we? Let's do that. Do something a little different instead of me just tell it to you. Beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 18. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but seventy-seven times. <clears throat> Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how the Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You see, guys, that last verse, or next to the last verse in verse 34, where it talks about the master handing him over to the jailer so that he could be tortured until he paid every last penny, I tend to read right over that passage. Because that's not something that goes on in, in my world or in, or in America today. I mean, does anybody know anybody that's ever thrown in jail for not paying their debts? Unless it was child support, okay? I know Missouri, they're very serious about that. Um, not by personal experience, but you, well, that doesn't happen today. And I mean, and, and torture, unless you're a member of a group called Al Qaeda and you get picked up and taken to uh, Guantanamo Bay, you don't know what torture is. I mean, does anybody know anybody that's really been, that's actually been waterboarded? I mean, it, we don't, it's, it's foreign to us. This concept. Okay? But the scary part is, is the last verse. Because he says what? In the story, he says the master turned the servant over to the jailer to be tortured until he could pay every last penny. This is what it says. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well, how's the Father going to treat me that way? Have you ever known somebody that's, that's full of bitterness? And lack of forgiveness. And they're tormented by it. It rules them. Guys, I just want to tell you, I don't believe it's limited to, to lack of forgiveness or bitterness. Guys, whenever you have the opportunity to, 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 to obey God, to repent, and to make your thoughts align with God, and you choose not to, I believe you're opening the door for torment. I don't know how else to put that. The Bible, the Bible is very clear. It gives a wonderful example of it in the Old Testament with a guy named King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And I encourage you to go back and read it. It's found in 1 Samuel. It won't take you long to read it. But it's just a captivating story because what happens is, you see, Saul is very insecure and jealous. He's jealous of the guy that God's going to make king over him because he doesn't obey God. And the Bible says that God sent an evil spirit to torment him. And guys, you look at it, it controlled his actions. He, he, was, he was trying to murder David because of this, this, the influence of this evil spirit and his jealousy and his bitterness. 
Guys, we, we just need to understand that if you're tormented, do you ever have thoughts that just take a hold of you and won't let go? It may not be who you heard. It's just maybe you just can't get things the way you want. Maybe you can't get some other person in your life to act the way you want. And you just keep going over it and over it in your mind. And it bothers you. Guys, I'll just be honest with you. I think there's a lot more of us tormented than we realize. I'm just being completely honest with you. And I, 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 You want to sit down with me? I can tell you stories of me personally where I didn't obey God and then I was being tormented. Guys, the good news is I can end that torture whenever I want. You know that? That's the exciting part about it. God doesn't say, He says He's going to, it says that He's going to turn you over. Go back to that passage in, in Matthew 18. It says what? King was so angry, he ordered the official to be tortured until he could pay back everything he owed. Do you know what, do you know how that servant could pay back everything he owed from jail? He's just got to accept God's forgiveness. I mean, that's what it is. You've got to decide that you're going to agree to what God has to say and live your life God's way. And the torment ends. And guys, I just want to tell you, I don't know where you're at here today. I don't know what's going on with you today. But I want to tell you, if you're being tormented, you can end it today. And it's your choice. So guys, right now, there's a, there's a communication card in your, in your bulletin. And that's our way of, of, of letting you confess. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Uh, instead of having an altar call or, or, or letting people come down front, when, we, when I first started coming to Greater Alton, that's what we did. We had a, a decision hymn and we had people come down front. And we let you confess your sins verbally. Anybody want to do that? We were smaller then. And guys, we just, why, why, do we do, why do we do it? This, it? It's not only for confession, okay? That prayer card isn't only for confession. But guys, it is a, it is a place to confess. Sometimes it's easier to write something than it is to talk about it. And by writing it, you're definitely acknowledging it. And so guys, I just enc- I encourage you, to, if you don't ever fill one of those out, you know, it's a attendance card, I'll fill it out. Blah, blah, blah. My wife fills it out, my husband fills it out, my kids fill it out. I don't fill it out. I encourage you to fill one out. And guys, I encourage you today, if there's something you're challenged about, something in your life that you look at, I'm like Simon, and there's something in my heart that I need to give attention to, jot it down. Jot it down. And while they're singing that second song, they'll collect those all up, and uh, we'll go from there. So let's pray, and we'll be done for the day. Father, you are awesome. And Father, I'm amazed at what you reveal to us and what you show us in your word. And Father, how you teach us.